Well, hey, everybody, Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's Ingles on the Beat segment and a rundown of the Georgia news and certainly a very busy weekend uh, that I was able to cover Kirby Smart with a Zoom call. Let's go ahead and lead right off with the big news. Uh, not good news, unfortunately. Andrew Paul, very talented freshman running back from Texas, had made great strides, had heard great things about Andrew, sounded like he was going to be an immediate contributor. He suffered what turned out to be a torn ACL. Dog Nation reported he left the scrimmage field limping. Unfortunately, uh, more reports came in that it was indeed a torn ACL, likely out for the season for Andrew Paul. So you might say to yourself, well, this is a freshman running back. And why does this seem like such a big deal? Because after all, Georgia has some really good frontline runners. Well, depth, depth is the key. And Del McGee told us earlier this spring uh, excuse me, last earlier this fall that Georgia typically likes to carry six scholarship running backs. Well, they only have five. We know that Lavoisier Carroll transferred to South Carolina last year. Zamir White came back. A lot of people thought he'd go pro. When he came back, they had an abundance of running backs, so they moved Carroll to DB. And he says, that's not what I signed up for. He transfers to South Carolina, and now you start this year with five scholarship running backs. Well, the Paul injury brings it down to four. And then there was been some concerns because Kendall Milton has missed the first two scrimmages on account of a pulled hamstring. Now, Kirby Smart says that Kendall, he thinks, will be fine. We've seen Kendall's father, Chris Milton, on social media say that Kendall will be fine. So if Kendall is fine, you start the season with four scholarship running backs and Savon Clark, who I think is a really good walk-on, more than capable guy. I think you can win with him for sure. Uh, still, though, your frontliners with experience, Kenny McIntosh has drawn a lot of praise from Del McGee and Kirby Smart. Kenny has had a very, very good uh, fall camp, had a very good spring, and I think that uh, George is in good hands with Kenny. After Kenny, right now, it's Dejon Edwards. Dejon has gone through the first two scrimmages. He's also a junior. He's assignment sound. He has the coach's trust. And of course, Kendall Milton. So you may be asking about Branson Robinson, the other freshman. Well, here's the thing. He looks great in the weight room. On the field, he has looked a little stiff. I don't know what sort of power he brings. I didn't see the scrimmage, but the reports were very good out of the first scrimmage that he was breaking tackles. Uh, he doesn't yet know his protections and all the offense. So he's a situational player. As Todd Munkin would say, he's not ready to be a down in and down out player, but you do have three guys that can do that. So uh, is it the re is it a reason to give up hope? No, but it's definitely something to circle and make note of and say, boy, that margin for error in the backfield just got pretty thin. You really can't afford another injury to a frontline player, or you may be relying more on inexperienced players than most championship teams do. Now, you can win with one or two inexperienced guys. There's no doubt about it. In fact, look at Georgia last year. Keely Ringo was pretty green back there in the secondary. Got exploited early, but you saw how he grew and he became better and better as the season progressed. A.D. Mitchell was a freshman receiver when the season started. By the end of the year, he's catching touchdown passes. Brock Bowers was a true freshman. So we've seen the sort of players that Georgia recruits and how they're able to grow. But you don't want to have too many of those guys out there. It makes you susceptible 
to more mistakes when you're not assignment sound. As well coached as George is, backfield, very challenging situation right now without uh, Andrew Paul. Uh, we saw also Kirby Smart reported that Kiaris Jackson, a veteran receiver, a slot guy, also of the lead punt return man, did not finish scrimmage on account of an ankle Achilles uh, injury. Kirby wasn't sure which one. Said he thought Kiaris could have finished, but he didn't. So we'll wait and see how Kiaris practices this week. That's also important. Chain reaction there if Kiaris can't go. Obviously, you're down another slot guy. Georgia already missing Arian Smith, uh, the speedster, a situational burst guy on the perimeter. And DeLine Morissette, a freshman, they're hoping they can get something out of. Again, the numbers right now are at a bare minimum. So you're starting the season not as well stocked at running back and wide receiver as you would like. And Kirby told us he's done what he can do to try to eliminate these injuries and, and lessen the opportunities for them to happen. And yet still, as we know, football is a contact sport and players do get hurt all the time. Tate Ratledge, uh, you know, where is he at with his turf toe, uh, with the Liz Frank injury that he suffered at the beginning of last year? I read recently a report that typically in the NFL, that injury takes players out for 11.6 months. That would mean about halfway through August, which is about where we're at, where that's the average recovery time in the NFL. We Different injuries, different people. Um, so Tate Ratledge, a guy that I think Kirby was optimistic would be ready to start the season, uh, missed the first scrimmage, did not get an update from scrimmage two. I'm sure we will hear more about Tate Ratledge this week. Georgia, however, very well stocked inside. Uh, Devin Willick, Xavier Trust, uh, Micah Morris, Dylan Fairchild. They have so many guys that can play the guard position. Warren Erickson, uh, of course, Marius Mims gives them depth at the tackle, although Ernest Green, the freshman uh, from Cloverdale, has uh, been out with a hamstring. But very well stocked on that offensive line, um, can sustain an injury or two and really not miss a beat. Now, Ratlitz was is probably, when he's on top of the game, their best run blocker. So you want to get him back certainly for the second half of the season. This is a backloaded schedule. When you look at the Georgia schedule, now Oregon obviously will be a, a very, uh, I think it'll be a challenge, but after Oregon, you got a trip to South Carolina in week three and you know, you kind of got those cream puffs in there, right? Kent state, Sanford home games at Sanford stadium. Those are very winnable, easy games. So you got two gimme games where you can rest some guys, get some guys healthy, work some young players to get yourself ready for that October, November stretch when really uh, I think the season will be determined, be determined. You know, Kirby talked a lot about rising stars, some guys that stood out in the scrimmage. Kamari Lasseter, a, a second year cornerback, very important that he has stepped into this role opposite Keely Ringo. We know that Georgia lost their best cover corner, Darian Kendrick, to the NFL draft. And you wondered who would take that spot. Somebody that hadn't gotten a lot of reps last year. And Kamari Lasseter is a guy that, that Kirby kind of bragged up uh, last fall, said he was the star of fall camp. Remember, he was not an early enrollee, but performed really well last fall, raised coach's eyebrows. Still didn't get a lot of frontline work, but clearly uh, had a good spring, did not play GD, was G-Day was ill. We saw Dylan Everett play, and I thought he was really good. I thought he had a really strong scrimmage, but him and Nylon Green uh, clearly chasing Kamari Lasseter for that starting spot opposite Keely Ringo in secondary. 
And then the other name you, you keep hearing Kirby mention is Malachi Starks. True freshman, five-star, tremendous athlete, uh, you know, dirty Dan Jackson had kind of been the projected guy there, but but Dan just not the athlete that Malachi Starks is. So keep an eye on that. I think you're going to see Starks work in more and more and more, play next to Christopher Smith, the veteran. I think the most ir- indispensable player on the team is Christopher Smith because of the control he has in the secondary, just a savvy experienced veteran voice back there came up so big for Georgia with the pick six against Clemson, another intercept in the championship game. So interesting to hear from Kirby. He's very pleased with those young players in the secondary. You remember uh, dog nation had reported how well Georgia recruited in the secondary. That is certainly coming to fruition. Brock Mandegrift and Carson Beck, you know, There is not a battle for the number one quarterback job. We know that Kirby is going to go with Stetson Bennett pretty much no matter what. Stetson did a nice job of making sure of that after the season. Remember the morning after the championship game, he said he wasn't sure he was coming back to Georgia, but he'd be playing somewhere. Well, he had those closed door meetings, as Stetson called them with Kirby, and heard some things that he needed to hear. And he will be the starter against Oregon. Uh, This is his team until it's not. Uh, And uh, certainly Stetson was the quarterback on a national championship team. That experience is invaluable to have a guy who's played on that stage and been on the winning team in some of the biggest games in Georgia history. Uh, I just don't think there's a substitute for that. So clearly he's the number one. Uh, It was very interesting, however, to hear Kirby when asked about the number two job, and he was asked about it three times before he finally spilled that it's a situational deal. It depends what's in the package um, and and how the game's going between Brock Vandegriff and Carson Beck. It sounds like Vandegriff has pulled even with Beck. Now, this is interesting because Beck had a great spring, certainly looked very good in the G-Day game. I'll tell you, every time it seems like Carson Beck is on the verge um, you know, I don't know if it's a half a step back or somebody just rises up, but uh, got to be frustrating for Carson Beck, third year quarterback. Uh, now uncertain if he's the two, depending on the situation. Reminds me a lot of last year when Kirby told ESPN, uh, you know, that if it's a passing game, it's JT, if it's a run, uh, Stetson, and clearly Georgia was more run oriented, more balanced with the RPOs, the play action. That was what was working. No reason to go away from it. And so Kirby didn't uh, and led to a national title. So now does that mean that Vandergriff fits what Bennett is doing more than Beck does? Now, remember, Stetson has been working on his passing and he has added velocity to his throws and he's improved his footwork in the pocket. Stetson was not effective out of the pocket last year, and he was not effective throwing downfield outside the numbers. There's a lot of metrics out there for efficiency overall, and it was outstanding. But Georgia was not an efficient team uh, when it was not play action or screen passes. Some numbers out there indicating they were actually one of the worst teams on downfield throws that did not involve RPO or play action. And so uh, this is an area that Todd Munkin and Kirby self-scout And it's an area that Stetson has worked to improve at. And uh, you got to give him credit for that because you know Dan Lanning is going to do his darndest with the Oregon Ducks to take away what Georgia does best. So I think that's really wise 
that Georgia has really worked on improving Stetson in the pocket and Stetson throwing downfield outside the numbers. Tough throw to make for any quarterback. There were some other stars from scrimmages. Kenny McIntosh continues to practice well. Eric Gilbert, a guy that Kirby talked about and said, you know what? The football taking care of itself just wants to make sure that Eric is comfortable off the field. It is a tough transition in college football for any young man, much less one who's transferred and taken a year off to deal with some personal issues. So keeping an eye on Eric Gilbert, I think he's a dynamic playmaker. I think he could be the SEC newcomer of the year in a best case scenario. Uh, Just brings so much to the table with his receiving skills. And that size, I mean, this is a guy with Kyle Pitts-like talents, I believe, you know, first-round talent, no doubt. We mentioned McIntosh. Uh, Brock Bowers, a preseason All-American. I think you know what you're going to get out of Brock. A lot of catches last year and runs after the catch. Brought a lot of passing yardage up with his ability to break tackles and run away from people. Uh, Really outstanding catch radius. Uh, Todd Munkin even said didn't know he had it. Uh, Made a lot of big-time catches on balls behind him, under him, over him. Uh, Just a reliable target. Uh, And I thought, uh, you know, one of the top 50 freshmen of all time, he was the freshman of the year last year as selected by the football writers and Deshaun Alexander uh, organization. You know what you're going to get from Ladd McConkie. You know what you're going to get from A.D. Mitchell. I think both of these guys, as I mentioned earlier in the show, improved as the season went on. They started out as freshmen. Some mistakes early on against Clemson. But as the year progressed, better and better and better and better. And I think now those are two guys you can count on. Darnell Washington, another guy we may not be talking enough about. We know that Darnell considers himself a blue-collar role player. I think he's the word role player. But 6'7 and 280 is going to present some very difficult matchups for opponents. And he can also block exceptionally well. So that Georgia offensive line, as good as it is, even better when you put a guy like Darnell Washington to, at the edge of that line, future NFL starter, uh, very impressive uh, weekend in many respects. Some tough news on Andrew Paul, but I think the coaches have this team where they want it at this stage of fall camp. They will start work on Oregon a little bit later in the week. Right now, let's take a short break to recognize our sponsor, Ingles. We'll come back with the second half of the show. Uh, Talk about some of the crazier polls we've seen, some national news with the Big Ten, talking expansion again, and maybe a 19 SEC playoff, some things that you're going to want to monitor. Right now, though, let's take this opportunity to recognize our sponsor, Ingles. It's in our hearts to feel for you. There's been ups and downs, turnarounds, there's good days and some bad. But we stand together for worse and for better. We'll always have your back. Open arms, heart to heart, hand in hand. Community strong. Welcome back to the show. Mike Griffith here. It's the second half of the Ingles on the Beat show. Really appreciate you joining me. At the end of the show here, we'll do a live Q&A segment where if you've got some questions, I'll respond. And certainly uh, any other news items that you want to ask about, I want to be very interactive and involved uh, with you all. Appreciate you watching here on this Monday night. You know, I saw where Colin Coward, a guy that I've done a show once or twice. It was a while ago. Uh, does a pretty good job on Fox. I think. Has Georgia outside the top 10? I, I got to tell you, I have not seen 
Georgia outside of the top 10 in any other poll. But he, I, he, he didn't have him in the top 10, which is re- remarkable to me. I, I think there's a chance, there's a chance Georgia could lose two games this year. I, I could see that. I could, I could see a scenario. But to me, that's the worst case scenario. And if you lose two games, I think you're still in the top 10 with Georgia's schedule. One of those games in this scenario would be losing in the SEC championship game. So I was a bit surprised to see that. Uh, I do know they lost 15 guys to the NFL. I know they lost 13 guys in the portal. I recognize that it would be unprecedented for Georgia to go back to the playoff after having such incredible loss of talent. Nobody's ever had that many guys drafted. But I know what they have. I mean, Kirby has done an outstanding job recruiting. I mean, you heard me in the first half of the show talking about how these freshmen running or these freshman DBs are performing so well. That that was a big concern was how good will the secondary be? We don't think the pass rush will be quite as well. Uh, Jamon Dumas Johnson, the middle linebacker that's in for Nicobe Dean, hearing great things about him. That that was another big gap to fill. Uh, offensively, uh, you know, they lost George Pickens, but really George only played the last four games anyway and never really meshed well with Stetson Bennett. So I don't really know that the Pickens loss hurts you as maybe as much as you would think a second round receiver might. Tamari Salyer and Justin Shaver have moved on, but I, I think this offensive line is better, not necessarily better without them, but everybody got better. And Broderick Jones, I thought, was most effective at left tackle, and Sire was most effective inside the guard. So if you get Ratledge back, I mean, it's, you know, certainly is even par with Jamari and the run blocking. Uh, so pretty interesting stuff there. I saw ESPN redid their uh, S&P 500, whatever their S&P rankings, the formula they use. I'm not big on preseason formulas because it doesn't take into account the health of the team, the coaching changes. Um, sometimes the recruiting rankings don't add up, but in the most recent one, they had Georgia number two. So there you go. I know people like to say, well, ESPN doesn't respect them. There have been some incidents and some, and I shouldn't say incidents. There's been some stories, uh, that have been done where I didn't think Georgia got a fair shake, particularly that top 50 freshman of all time. I thought Brock Bowers belonged in the top 50 freshman of all time. I thought Herschel Walker was number one. Uh, instead of Hugh Green from Pitt on an eight and two team, I just seemed like a reach. Uh, talked with Buck Ballou about that, and Buck thought, you know, that that was very political. Maybe because of Herschel's political representation, ESPN didn't want to put him number one. That was what Buck suggested. And I can't think of any other reason because clearly what Herschel did as a freshman, leading his team to the national championship and with a separated shoulder, nonetheless, against a really talented Notre Dame team. Uh, that was amazing. Uh, I think the best freshman performance of all time, Herschel Walker. I, I did see ESPN also did a projected bowl, postseason bowl playoff. And the way they have it matched up was Alabama versus Clemson and Georgia versus Ohio State. I, you know, I'm on board with that. I, I could see that, you know, if Georgia is able to run the table during the regular season, uh, and play Alabama, they're absolutely going to be in the play. Even if they lose to Bama in the SEC, if that's their only loss, as it was last year, I think they make the playoff. Now, if they stumble and that's their second loss, probably won't make the playoff. There's never been a two-loss team that's made the playoff, right, in the eight-year history of the 14 playoff. Four more years left on that contract, by the way. Uh, I did have Ohio State 
is my number one. So I, I think what they're suggesting is Ohio State runs the table. They're number one. Bama's two. Uh, Clemson three or vice versa. And Georgia four. And perhaps Georgia you know, after losing the SEC championship game. Uh, I think Ohio State, like I said, I went with them as my preseason number one. C.J. Stroud is – this guy's really incredible. You know, there was one team that Kirby uh, was interested in knowing how they did every Saturday, and it was Ohio State, and there's a reason for that. The Buckeyes passing game is really, really good, and they have good talent up front. Uh, this is a program that – I believe they won the 2014 National Championship, beat a Kirby smart defense, as you recall. So Kirby familiar – with how much talent Ohio State has when they can put it together. Now they've tripped up. They've, they've lost some curious games over the years. They haven't been maybe as consistent as a program with that much talent should be. You wonder if Ryan Day is the guy. Um, you know, I, I think sooner or later, he's got to start winning some playoff games uh, for the Ohio State, win more, win championships. That's what they want there. That's a very powerful school. A lot of talent in the Ohio State program. When I looked at the programs that have had the most players drafted over the last four years, Georgia was one. I want to say Bama two, and I think and I think Ohio State was three. Uh, so very interesting to see those projections with the Buckeyes, uh, the other playoff team, along with Clemson. You know, the nine-game SEC schedule expansion, I think it's only a matter of time and for a number of reasons. First and foremost, the SEC needs to get more money from ESPN so that they can be closer to the Big Ten in terms of that television revenue. I think you saw where the Big Ten signed a $7 billion deal. I mean, that's just, wow, remarkable, right? So ESPN and the SEC have to work in concert to improve the product, make its value better so that the SEC schools can get bigger payouts because that money that's going to the Big Ten, that's going to put them ahead in terms of the arms race, whether it's facilities, paying players, or paying the best coaches. The coaches are going where the money's at. Make no mistake about it. They, you know, as great as the SEC is, if they can make significantly more money in the, in the Big Ten, they're going to go. So now the SEC has to answer the bell. And the way that they can make their conference more valuable is to add another conference game to the package. Now, when does that happen? Well, Texas and Oklahoma, we know, will be here by at least 2025. There's a chance they could be here in 2024. Why? Because the Big 12 is adding some teams in 2024. Now, the question is, does the Big 12 want to just go ahead and, and let Texas and Oklahoma go a year earlier? Uh, would they be willing to negotiate? Is there a dollar figure attached, a release fee? You know, and, and so that's a possibility that 2024, maybe Texas and Oklahoma could be here as early as 20. It's hard to believe that's only two years from now, right? So keep an eye on that. That's one way um, that the SEC would be triggered to go to that nine-game schedule sooner. Another way is if in the next couple months, the college football playoffs are expanded. Part of the reason you don't want to go to a nine-game schedule right now is it's one more losable game. If you're an SEC team, as Nick Saban said, you know, you go to a nine-game schedule, you're, you're playing four or five teams of top 15 ilk. Now, they may not finish there because they cannibalize and, and they beat each other up. But I'm with Saban on that. And, and I think some of George's logic is the same on that as well. So um, 
Could be interesting to see if in the next couple months, if the playoffs get expanded. Now that the Big Ten has expanded uh, to so many teams, 16, and now I'm hearing they're thinking about 20, they're all in on expanded playoffs, right? So now uh, they, they've moved uh, they've moved the bar, so to speak. And I think the SEC and the Big Ten are both going to get their way and we'll see expanded playoffs. Now, will it be the 12-team model? Will it be 16? Um, I know there was some talk of eight. I think that's probably out the window. I would say a 12 or 16 playoff. I really like the 12 team where the top four teams got buys because I like to think the regular season in college football still holds a great amount of importance. That's one of the things that's great about college football. I like to think every Saturday is kind of a playoff of its own more so than other sports. So now the other schools that the big 10 is looking at adding uh, Oregon wants in really bad, and, and they're, the, they're the most pivotal team, and I'll tell you why, most pivotal program. Oregon, Washington, Utah, Stanford is the report I saw from Action Sports, uh, Brett McMurphy of Stadium on that one, actually. And Oregon with the Nike money. It's all about the Nike money. I mean, Phil Knight is, I think, worth $30 billion. Could he underwrite Oregon and Washington? Could he underwrite these schools joining the Big Ten? Would it add that much value? For Nike, um, I think it's important. I think I think it's absolutely integral that Oregon is in the Big Ten because what's left of the Pac-12, folks, it's going by the wayside. It's going to turn into a. It, it's already a second-tier league, but it will drop even further. Um, it, we're down to the Big Two, and we're going to see another level right between the SEC and the Big Ten. I think that the ACC and the Big 12 are, are going to be scrambling for relevance in the schools out there in Los Angeles with USC and UCLA and, you know, up in Minnesota and Pennsylvania, you know, down in Indiana and, you know, Champaign, Illinois, Iowa, kind of just spread out all over. I understand it's a, it's a grab bag for television markets. And so it, that strategy makes sense. But I think what the SEC has done by staying geographically sound also makes sense. Um, like NASCAR, right? Remember, NASCAR was pretty much a southeastern phenomenon. They had a few north races, up races up north. But when NASCAR got in trouble was when they vacated their strongest fan base areas and went out west. And the idea was the same, more TV, more viewers, more eyes. Kind of lost who they were when that happened in, in some respects, maybe some for the better. But I think the SEC is on to something here. Now, who could you add? And stay in the geographical footprint. What about West Virginia? I know West Virginia doesn't bring a lot of eyes necessarily, but if you're looking for volume, that would be a team that would strike me uh, as one that could fit from a geographical sense. I, Oklahoma State, maybe Oklahoma State. Um, you know, I guess as far as I'd want to go, um, Colorado. You know, Colorado would bring you Denver. It'd be an interesting market out there. I'm trying on my ge ge geography. I don't think Colorado borders Oklahoma. Um, but to me that I'm thinking, because I don't think you can take an ACC team. If you could take ACC teams, I'd take Miami and North Carolina. Um, but because ESPN controls the ACC network contract, I don't think they have any interest in, um, you know, stealing from Peter to pay Paul, so to speak. Um, you know, to me, the obvious golden goose would be Notre Dame. If you could get Notre Dame, that would be exquisite as one of your additions. I think you could benefit Notre Dame as well. But I would think Notre Dame would be more inclined to go to the ACC where they would have an easier path 
to championships and could still sell that warmer weather uh, that the South offers that would differentiate them from the other schools in the Big Ten. Uh, right now, we know, last we heard, Notre Dame was still trying to negotiate with NBC to have their own uh, television package. We'll see how that works out. So uh, that does it for the pre-show. And stick around, and I'll be right back to take your questions here on, on the back. We'll see how that works. So uh, that does it for the pre-show. Stick around, and I'll be right back Hey everybody, Mike Griffith here. Now we're live. We're going to take some questions uh, about tonight's show. I'm having a discussion here in the chat. We were just talking in the chat, and always appreciate that, uh, about West Virginia. And what if West Virginia joined the SEC? Why didn't West Virginia join the SEC in 2012? Well, even though I was just talking about how the SEC stayed true to its geographical uh, form, West Virginia did not bring the same television market demographics that Missouri did. You know, you bring Missouri and, and I look at Missouri and I don't look at Missouri as some, you know, superpower big state, but they do carry the St. Louis and Kansas City television markets. And those are both major league size markets. That's why Missouri over West Virginia, even though I felt like, and I think most of you would agree, that from a cultural standpoint, West Virginia might be a better fit. I mean, they're just so into their football and, and Friday nights, uh, whereas Missouri didn't strike me that way. And, you know, you got to give the SEC credit because Missouri has played in two SEC championship games. I remember when they added Missouri and A&M, and I thought, well, A&M naturally, but when is Missouri ever going to do anything? Then they won the East twice. Texas A&M, we're still waiting. They, they still have not gone to the SEC championship game. I wanted to touch on this. I did a column the other day called Shut Up and Dribble. And listen, I've never been like a big John Calipari fan. Now, I respect Cal. You know, he's, he strikes me as slick. He strikes me as a, a big time, you know, NBA style coach with his suits and his, you know, slicked back hair and his accent. Northeastern accent. And, uh, but I got to tell you, the guy puts on a show, right? If you beat Kentucky in basketball, you feel like you did something, right? And Cal has actually won either the SEC tournament or the SEC regular season eight out of 12 years. That, that's pretty impressive. I don't, has Nick Saban won the SEC eight out of 12 years? I don't think so. So when Mark Stoops, started questioning whether or not Kentucky was a basketball school. Look, I get it. Mark is proud that Kentucky is in the preseason top 25 for the first time since 1978. Really? It's been 32 years. Well, bravo. But Kentucky is not a football school. You can't be talking that you're not a basketball. That's ridiculous. Be glad you're at a basketball school, Mark Stoops. Did you know? And I looked this up. I said, well, you know, Mark Stoops has been there a while, right? Nine years. Do you know he is the longest active tenured coach in FBS not to have won at least his division? Everybody else that's been coaching that long, they've at least won their division. He hasn't. But because he's at a basketball school, Mark Stoops gets a free pass. So I think he outkicked his coverage. 
by comparing himself to John Calipari and the Kentucky basketball. It was way out of line. You know, Kentucky basketball is the standard for the S. Now, you may not like them, but year in and year out, that's that's kind of the first team that comes to mind. Now, Arkansas has mounted challenges over the years. Tennessee has had some success. I, I covered Tennessee and saw Bruce Pearl do some great things there. But year in and year out, it's Kentucky typically, right? Now, this year they did lose to St. Peter's in the first round of the NCAA. But do you know they hammered national champ Kansas at Allen Fieldhouse in Kansas? And they beat North Carolina by double digits, both the teams that played for the title. Kentucky football? Kentucky football hasn't beat Georgia since, what, 2009? I think they've lost 12 in a row. And they want to talk about – so I thought that he was way out of line uh, trying to compare himself uh, to Cal. So take a look at some of your questions here, what you got for me, guys. Look in here. Falcons look hungry. Hope it's real when the games start. You know, I just I just can't get into Falcons football. It's all Georgia for me and SEC. Uh, I see Richard Sheffield talks about West Virginia's population being 1.7 million, about the size of Gwinnett County, he says. Ah, but are the roads uh, better? Uh, I see John Foster hoping that JT Daniels puts up a good season at West Virginia this year. Needs a healthy season. John, you're right. Uh, the intelligence I've got out of there is that he's got a pretty good offensive line and some decent receivers. But West Virginia opens the season about the Wildcats scoring that late touchdown. Going back to my uh, Q&A here, looking at the thread. What else do we got that you guys want to talk about tonight on this wrap-up portion of the show? Um, I see where Richard Sheffield suggests Clemson, Miami, Florida State. Again, I, you know, I would have liked to have seen Miami just from a market standpoint. I don't see where Clemson really helps the market. So, when you think about adding teams, don't just think about what makes the league better. The league's fine enough. It's about adding market size. You know, when I covered the Big Ten in 2014, the Big Ten added Rutgers and Maryland. And a lot of people said, what are you doing? Well, what they were doing was adding 33% more television sets by adding those two East Coast schools. And now they've gone out and got the number two television market. That's why their contract is worth $7 billion. So how does the SEC answer? And the answer to that, as we talked about earlier in the show, is by adding a ninth conference game, which adds more value to the contract with more SEC games, probably get rid of one of those buy games, so to speak. Now, if you're Georgia, what do you do? You still got that home and home every year with Georgia Tech. Do you keep that game? Do you keep that game locked in? Because you have nine conference games. Georgia Tech makes 10. That only leaves two other games on a 12-game schedule. One of them, Kirby wants that home-and-home. We see those future home-and-homes with Power 5 schools. That only gives you one bye game, one warm-up game. And, you know, you look at this year's team in particular and how they have Sanford and Kent State, and those are some breathers. And how fortunate for Georgia that they have those easy games in September when we're talking about this young roster that Kirby's trying to break in and make better. I mean – they're doing as much as they can with scrimmage. You don't want to get guys hurt, but there's only so much you can get done in practices, right? You got to play football to get better. Uh, David Killian wants to know what position concerns me the most for Georgia. Um, uh, boy, that's a that's a tough one. Probably quarterback is to be honest with you. Um, Stetson has worked really hard to improve this year. 
I'm concerned that too much will be asked. If the defense can't play three and out football, will Georgia be in a position to have to come from behind? Will that take them out of their comfort zone? Uh, Stetson has improved with the velocity on the ball, and he has worked on his footwork, and they are working on improving on his passing from the pocket. But I think teams are going to play Stetson different, and I think that he's going to have to make some plays that last year he didn't make. We all know that he and Kirby both talked about decision-making improving. Uh, I think that's important, right, because that's a position you need to have settled, um, and I think Georgia's at their best when they're consistent with it. You noticed last year, once Kirby made the change, he didn't go back. He wanted that consistency at the position. I think that's important this year as well. Uh, Richard Sheffield says, tight end. If you're the other team, Richard, tight end probably concerns you the most. You know, I'm thinking these guys need to, like, help save the world. You know, my Tim Tebow joke at SEC Media Days was, hey, Tim, New York just called. They need you to fly up there and save the world. This tight ends room is filled with guys that are built like Tim Tebow. They're just unbelievable, uh, incredible athletes. I see Marshall Fleming wants to know what I think about Dejon Edwards and him and Kenny being the one-two running backs. Uh, well, Marshall, I, here's what I think. I think that based on how I've seen Del McGee manage this room, everybody kind of has roles. Now, they'll do some hot hand stuff, and I think if Kenny Mack gets hot, that they'll ride him. But also, now remember – you're talking about only four scholarship running backs for a 12-game season. And Kirby called it out a week ago. He said, you know, we need those young guys to be ready because every year there's attrition. It's almost like Kirby knew, right? Sure enough, a week after the head coach says it, he loses one of his scholarship guys. Now you're down to four scholarship guys. So while you want to see Kenny run wild for 200 yards and be a Heisman, you got to be careful. You got to manage his snaps. You got to get him through the season. Same thing with Kendall Milton. So there's going to be plenty of carries for everyone. Right now, Kenny's one, Dejan's two. We'll see how Milton moves back in the mix. I mean, I think Dejan is more between the tackles. I think Kendall is versatile, but probably leans a little bit more towards the run. You guys know Kenny's a receiver. You know, Munkin would like to see Kendall and Dejan be as adept out of the backfield. He was talking about how last year, how nice it was to have Kenny and Cook, two guys that could run these routes. And one of the NFL theories uh, in Munkin's mind is you need to have two guys before you put plays in. Because if you put all these plays in and one guy gets hurt, you got to throw out all that work you've done. So very important that Dejon Edwards continues to improve as a receiver and very important that Kendall Milton gets 100% from that hamstring. I don't think you're going to be able to count on Branson Robinson to be an every down back. I don't know if you all remember how Todd Munkin talked about Arian Smith uh, a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, I guess it was, uh, the day before he got hurt or the day he got hurt, he said, well, he's a situational guy. He's still learning, right? He's not an everyday down guy. Well, that's going to be Branson Robinson. He'll be a situational guy. I think short yardage. And he's bulky and built, but for those that watched him in practice, he's not the most fluid guy in the world. He still needs to work get loose, right? Get that innate vision, that feel. We saw Zamir White improve during his career. I think Branston Robinson is much the same in terms of getting a feel. Uh, he needs to get a little quicker from what I saw. I actually thought Andrew Paul was a better runner than Branson Robinson in, in my observations. 
I do like Edwards, the way he churns and spins, and he can wear you down. And I think this Georgia team, uh, with this offensive line, can really punch you in the mouth. Uh, defensively, the position group that worries me the most um, is probably uh, – <coughs> excuse me <laughs> – it's probably it's probably the defensive ends Nolan and and Tramal Walthour. You, you just lost the number one overall pick in Trayvon Walker, and I think he did so many things that were just dynamite, that were kind of invisible. Just shut down things where people didn't go to that side because of his ability. That that drop off from him to Tramal, I wonder about how quick can Michael, uh, you know, maybe work his way in there. Um, there'll be some youth there. And then Nolan Smith is, you know, doesn't have big sack numbers and he's a little light for that position. Uh, I kind of feel like he's a half a notch below Aziz Ajilari. Uh, I think Nolan is good. I think he's going to play in the NFL, but I want to see him take that next step. A little concerned about team's ability to run on the perimeter against Georgia. Not sure about these outside linebackers yet. Kirby called them out, uh, called out Xavier Sori. Uh, likes Jamon Dumas Johnson in the middle. I think you're fine in the middle, and that's important. Your interior defensive line and your Mike linebacker. But I wonder about the perimeter. Remember that first scrimmage, the tackling didn't impress, and Kirby was talking about how those freshmen were breaking tackles. Well, that worries me because uh, freshmen shouldn't be breaking tackles against the Georgia defense, I, and, unless it's Herschel Walker, and neither one of these guys are Herschel Walker. Um, not close to it. No, nobody was close to it. Uh, I see John Foster says backup quarterback is still a big question. Um, and I think John brings up a great point here uh, about how it's important because you got to keep the starter healthy. And only two of Kirby's first six seasons did the same quarterback that started the year finish the year under center. So I think John Foster's got a really good point there. And it was interesting. I don't want to say Kirby waffled because that's not the word for it. Uh, but he certainly left the door open when he said that it kind of depended on what the package was. I mean, when we came out of spring, you know, I felt like Beck was a clear cut too, and, and Vandergrift was the three to the point that I wondered if Vandergrift would transfer. And, and I asked questions about that. And, and I was told, listen, Brock Vandergrift has prayed about this. He's, he's all in on Georgia and he's going to stick it out. And I said, wow, that is really something. Um, because they, remember at the time we thought Georgia was getting at the time they were getting Arch Manning right um, you know and then whatever happened with you know Texas and end of last year but but point being uh, seeing Brock you know co number two now it makes you wonder if the writing is on the wall for Carson back because it was kind of what you know they said last year depends on what they're going to do well Vandergrift's more of the runner he's more the guy that that runs that RPO the stuff that Kirby likes the mobility and Stetson's ability to run and, and throw the deep ball. Brock does that. Whereas I think Beck is more adept in that spread that we saw from JT when you saw multi-receivers. But this offense, because of the personnel, the personnel dictates what you do. And not necessarily the quarterback, right? But where are you with your receiver depth? Where are you? Well, right now, the receiver depth isn't the greatest in the world. And neither is the running back depth. So what do you do? You run a lot of tight end sets. Now, is Eric Gilbert far enough along to run this 13 per, to be putting three tight ends on the field regularly? 
that's what I want to know. Um, I, I'm kind of wondering if they're only going to put two tight ends out there. That's kind of how what I'm feeling and what I'm hearing. They call that the A set. That's more conventional to run a two tight end set and two receivers. I had thought maybe three tight ends, but maybe Gilbert's not ready to be the down in and down out player. Again, it's a it's a puzzle that Kirby and his staff do a wonderful job uh, putting the uh, putting together every year, and it's based on their personnel. So. Uh, taking a look, my uh, Michael Carvel, uh, my producer, is uh, reaching out to me. Uh, hey to YouTube, Michael. If you guys have any more questions, uh, let them fly. Enjoy the Q&A portion of this, always. And uh, always appreciate you guys that tuned in, guys and girls that tuned in on, on tonight's uh, show. Monday night, on the beat, every Monday night, we'll continue doing this. Party's over, Hughes here. Looks like John Foster digging in on another uh, commenter. Barry Kane says Delp will be a crowd favorite. I think he's a crowd favorite now. I think we all root for the freshman. And Delp looked good in that G-Day game. I know a lot of people were very, very excited about that. And I agree with you, Nash, that all K-Mac and Edwards have lacked his opportunities. I uh, see William Perry wants to know about my assessment. Ringo uh, getting as many accolades without the interception? Obviously not. Um, you know, because if you looked at Keeley's season last year, he wasn't great. Okay. He was on a great defense with a great line that put a lot of pressure. He got beat often, sometimes exposed, sometimes got beat and you didn't know it. Now I will say this, uh, William, I felt like Keeley looked very good in the spring. You see a lot of projections for the NFL draft. That's based on his size and speed. You don't see many guys that are 6'1", 210 that are going to run a 4'340". That's what he can do. NFL teams are going to take a chance on a guy like that. I think he's kind of a poor man's Tyson Campbell in that respect. Tyson only needed one, one year in the league, and now he's, he's playing lights out. Kirby saw it in him from the get-go. Uh, actually, tonight is uh, just peppermint because it's getting close to bed, and I don't want to have too much caffeine in me. What else we got here? Uh, what do I think about the away games? Wes Golden wants to know. Well, um, you know, you start out with Oregon, which is a neutral site game at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And the Ducks have, you know, they've won away from home. Remember last year they opened the season, um, actually their second game was at Ohio State at noon in Columbus. They flew across the country at 9 a.m. Pacific time, right, and they beat the Buckeyes. So that this is a team that can travel. Uh, typically there is a drop-off when West Coast teams travel east. You know, you can call your local bookie and see the statistics on that, but I think it decreases their chances. It goes from a 50-50 to a 40-60 kind of thing. Um, that obviously favors Georgia. It's a 3-30 game. It's not, not super early, but uh, still a long trip for the Ducks. Uh, other road games, you know, Missouri, to me, not much of a challenge this year. Uh, Missouri was a team that struck out on JT Daniels. They weren't able to finish the deal. JT was interested in them. Uh, and Coach Drinkwitz was not able to finish the deal. I think the JT would have made Missouri a formidable team. But as is, I don't know who their quarterback is, and I don't think he's certainly not a proven commodity. So uh, I think this is going to be a tough year for Missouri. I think this year will put Coach Drinkwitz on the hot seat, squarely on the hot seat. I expect a pretty major fall off, and maybe the only game they win in the league is against Vanderbilt. So that game is obviously not at the top of my list of worries uh, for Georgia. Now, at Mississippi State, well, let me back up one. Of course, Jacksonville's a game in Florida. You guys know all about that. Uh, Gators were only down three to zero, okay, with three minutes left in the first half. 
before that defense kicked in. They, they really did a nice job against the Georgia offense that game, uh, but the defense played heroic. Uh, I'm being told that Florida, you know, that Billy Napier set them down and, and, and ran the film and ran the numbers and said, guys, you beat yourself. You beat yourself against uh, Georgia. You beat yourself with penalties against Kentucky. Uh, if you just stop making mistakes, Florida's going to be an eight or nine win team. And you know what? I'm on board with that. I think Florida's going to be better than originally thought because I'm hearing that the players are getting the message. So I don't think Jacksonville's going to be a cakewalk. Um, I think that, that when I see that spread 16, seven, that seems high to me, not feeling good about that. Feel like that's a, a closer game this year. I think Florida is going to be a team that gets better as the year progresses. Don't know they're going to be ready to play Utah, uh, at home, even, uh, Utah's an awesome run team that really dominated Oregon twice last year, but I think that's a team with a chip on Mississippi state. That's crazy. And they were trying. Um, so I, I, what are we going to get from this? I just never know what I'm going to get from Mississippi State. That team is so Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, Kentucky, a blue-collar team. Will Levis, a lot of people think he's a first-rounder, but who's he going to throw to? Wendell Robinson's gone. So who do they got? I just don't think they have the weapons to beat Georgia. So I'm not as worried about that game as maybe I should be. Uh, but, you know, I just I, I don't see it. Um, Yep, Steve is all behind the U.S. Army and the dogs. Much appreciation there. Uh, what else we got here? Oh, look at this. Steve was at Fort Jackson. Victory starts here. You got it, Steve. Would Mullen even leave his current job to join Saban? That's a great question, John Foster. Uh, that's actually I've actually heard that talked about. I think Dan's going to do TV this year, and I think he's a really good commentator. I think he's an interesting and entertaining guy. I know when he's the other team's coach. He gets made fun of, but you talk to Dan and get to know him and see what he's all about. He's actually a pretty interesting guy. And wouldn't he be a great coordinator? I think he would. Um, you know, if uh, what if Munkin left Georgia? Would you want Dan Mullen or would you want Mike Bobo as your offensive coordinator? Good question, huh? Or maybe if uh, Bill O'Brien leaves Alabama, maybe he would be a saving. I'm just not sure uh, if Dan Mullen would want uh, to go back to being a coordinator. Sometimes when you've been a head coach, some guys can make the adjustment. I think Will Moschamp is a great example. Uh, man, he's been tremendous. I think he's been a real key for Georgia. Let's see, what do we got here? Anybody else? Any other questions? I think we're wrapping it up here. If not, uh, you know, I hope you all you guys are, are following me on Twitter at MikeGriffith32. I put all my stories on Twitter, and a lot of times I'll retweet things, uh, stuff from other teammates. Um, at Dog Nation as well, stuff from other writers around the SEC that I find interesting that, you know, oftentimes ties in with Georgia. So at Mike Griffith 32, if you're on the Twitter game, uh, I've got a Facebook page. You can follow me. Uh, you guys have seen my comments down there. If you want to hit follow, there's another area where I'll pull a feature every now and then and throw it on that page as well as Dog Nation. Um, you know, just try to spread the workout in as many ways and communicate, give you channels to message me, you know, every week. Uh, we're going to be doing Q&As in different form and fashion, whether it's the Gimme 5 feature. You may have seen that on Thursdays. I think this week Brandon Adams has one. Last week, Jeff Santel had one. I did one the week before on Jacksonville. Connor kicked it off a few weeks ago. Um, so there's a good way to you know ask questions, whether you want to submit it on Facebook or on Twitter uh, or on, on my email address. Um, any way that you can contact in the comment section, right? I'll go back after the show and I'll make sure I didn't miss any questions. Now, tomorrow night, it's uh, 
I'm trying to think. Maybe we don't have a show. I'm trying to remember if Connor goes tomorrow night. I know Jeff Sintel is going to be Wednesday, so you'll have a chance to see Before the Hedges with Jeff Sintel on Wednesday night. Uh, maybe Connor goes Thursday. I'm not sure if that starts this week or next week. Check it out around two, tomorrow night, though. We may be doing a live uh, report after the players availability so you're going to want to check the dog nation facebook page just in case around 7 7 30 uh don't forget every day dog nation daily with brandon adams right here on facebook on youtube as well our dog nation youtube channel i'll tell you we've got some interviews archived in there i go back to them all the time all the combine interviews from all the georgia players i think quay walker was the only guy i didn't get because channing tindell was talking at the same time go back and listen to those and if they're all archived on the Dog Nation YouTube site. All you got to do is type in our channel and you'll see all these videos, uh, past shows, whether it's uh, Dog Nation Daily or On the Beat or Before the Hedges or Counter and Coverage, all the Kirby Smart videos from his press conferences. I don't know if you, you guys know, but you can get all those videos right there on that YouTube page. We try to post those and uh, certainly appreciate when you guys go on there and just make a comment. Hey, we're here first, second, third. Uh, whatever you want to say, or, oh, I don't believe you, Kirby, or, oh, yeah, Kirby, you're the greatest. Uh, right now, he's kind of is the greatest. He's the highest paid coach, and uh, George is coming off a national championship, and number three in the country. Can you believe it? This is five years in a row that Kirby Smart has had Georgia in the preseason top five, and I know it's where you finished, but consider this. Vince Julie never had a preseason AP top five team. Never. Think about it. Isn't that not amazing? The perception of Georgia football now, every year, year in and year out, top five national championship contender. And for all the greatness of Vince Dooley, never ranked in the preseason top five. One of the most amazing statistics that I've run across as a Georgia beat writer. So, hey, I'm going to call it a night. I want to thank you for joining me. I hope you like the backdrop. This picture I took, I took this picture. I'm proud of it. That is not a photo illustration, by the way. The sun was just hitting it just right. So that red you see back there, that is the real deal. That is right off my iPhone. So that's one of my best pictures ever. And I'd love to put it behind me on the show. Everybody have a great Monday night, a great week. And I will be talking to you again soon.